Hey folks, welcome back to Elmtown. I'm your host, Jared Smith. We'll be visiting with Teofil Columbu today. But first, let's talk about our sponsor. Logistically is the company where I work. At Logistically, we make transportation management software for third-party logistics companies and shippers. I'm grateful that Logistically pays me to spend a bit of my time recording Elmtown episodes, as well as pays for our recurring production and hosting costs. We build the front end for all new features in Elm. We have over 100,000 lines of Elm code in production. We're always eager to talk to folks who enjoy writing Elm. Please drop us a line, elmtown at logisticallyinc.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. Now, Tailfill Kalumbu. Tailfill has a few Elm contributions I'd like to mention. Elm UI Explorer, which is a tool to showcase a design system in Elm. He gave a talk about it at Elm Europe 2019 called Building a Design System with Elm. And then recently, he talked about Elm on the French podcast, If This Then Dev. Tailfill, welcome downtown. Thank you, Jared. Hello. Hello. Very happy to so, be here. Good, good. Uh, I wanted to ask you, did I pronounce your last name correctly? Kalumbu? You pronounce it correctly, yeah. Okay, uh, all right. Great good. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I always uh, am afraid I'm going to make a mistake there. Uh, is that Zambian, you said? Yes, actually, it has an uh, origin from Zambia. Uh, my father is from Zambia, and um, I, I'm, uh, I've been raised in France. Uh, and I, uh, I live here in Paris. All right. And so did you grow up in Paris? Uh, actually, I, I grew up in eastern France. Uh, in a city called Belfort, so okay. near the German and the Swiss uh, border, uh, and I uh, I came to Paris uh, when I was twenty to pursue my career as a um, programmer uh, because uh, I joined a school called the Gobelin uh, in, here in Paris, where I I started uh, working more and more uh, on the on the web, and I found my my passion. I say. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. And so you found your passion, but tell me a little bit, let's go back and tell me kind of your start of how did you become interested? How did you find out that it was your passion? Was this, you know, when you came to Paris or did you realize this some at some point earlier than that? And then, um, and then go to Paris to pursue that. Yeah. So, uh, when I was a kid, I really appreciate, uh, playing video games. So, it was, uh, you know, in the 90s, and I was a fan of um, a Nintendo World. So I've played uh, Mario and then Zelda and all those uh, great games. And on the other hand, I, I really enjoyed drawing when I was a kid. Uh, and I always wondered, I wanted to create uh, things uh, digitally, but I could not uh, uh, name them. And um, I, uh, when I uh, grew, I had many, uh, let's say, uh, computers, and then I started uh, hacking a bit and drawing, and discovered Photoshop. <laughs> and um, uh, fortunately, in uh, the region where I grew up, in uh, Belfort, there is a university uh, specialized on um, uh, communication and uh, IT. Uh, so I applied, and I was uh, able to 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 be able to to learn multimedia there. And this is where I found my passion. Okay. Wow, that's really neat. Yeah, it seems like uh, a lot of us are 
are interested in games and then, you know, find our way to programming through games. Did you uh, write any games? I, passion? I, uh, I wrote games during uh, when I was learning Flash uh, previously. Uh, it was uh, uh, Adobe Flash. Macromedia was uh, something very, uh, very powerful at, the, at that time. Uh, but no, apart hacking with a tool called the RPG Maker. I don't know if you know RPG Maker. Uh, there was this uh, this uh, application. We were able to create your own role game. Uh, kind of, uh, you can create your own Zelda, something like that. And I, with my friends, we are uh, creating the sprites and uh, doing a bit some codes to to make it work. And it, it started like that a bit. This uh, a curiosity for coding, but apart from that, I haven't been uh, able to code a serious game, let's say, in my career. <laughs> and I'm sorry. <laughs> oh no, that. I don't know that a serious game is is, is much fun anyway, right? You know, <laughs> the best games are the ones that are made just because you're having fun. I think so. Mm. Um, yeah, that that's great. And so um, you developed this passion, and you came to Paris at age twenty, correct? Then, at what point did you discover Elm? How did that come into your view? Um, it. Actually, it came, I would say, late uh, during my career because I, like many people, I, I started coding uh, in JavaScript mainly, uh, and PHP uh, had, a, let's say, a big uh, impact here in France, especially uh, thanks to uh, frameworks like Symfony. Uh, so I have, and I've always worked uh, at the beginning in uh, startups or uh, communication uh, companies where we had to build uh, websites and uh, engaging experience with Flash again. Uh, so it was more, uh, let's say, uh, object-oriented uh, program programming that I was using uh, at the beginning of my career. Uh, and I discovered M later. Um, it was in the... Uh, 2017, uh, even 16 before, when I uh, I was the lead developer of a company called Wika, um, and this company uh, was specialized on uh, car rental, and um, I met uh, that guy called Guillaume Claret, when a friend of mine who was really into functional programming. And at the same time, React was popping everywhere. And Redux was the way to go. And I accidentally or randomly found uh, Elm by talking to my friends and looking for a solution that will allow to build UI uh, in a reli reliable way. Sure. Yeah, that... Uh... Sounds familiar to me as well, you know, coming from a, a JavaScript front end background and then and then looking to find a way to build a reliable front end. Um, what was the moment when you had discovered Elm that it became the the solution to the, you know, to the problem of that reliability and, you know, and, and uh, you know, whatever other struggles you faced? Yeah, it, it started at home and not at work because... Um... 
it's something I I I, I just noticed with this uh, Elm ecosystem. It's very hard to to uh, to ask or to be able to uh, persuade um, teammates to go for Elm because we are used to do things in the mainstream uh, way. So at home, I started hacking with Elm and I was doing side projects. And the one thing that really um, surprised me with Elm is that when I was building programs, it didn't crash because I had this continuous uh, discussion with the compiler and I was able to just write codes. It was very late, I remember. Uh, I think um, my f first daughter was uh, one year old <laughs> or two, uh, but uh, we, at that time, uh, children don't sleep uh, very, um, let's say, uh, early or wake up. So I was awake very late, and when she was sleeping, I started just hacking some helm, and I found it very wonderful, to be, to be honest. Ah, yeah, that's great. And so... Did you have experience with functional programming at this point before you, or when you were getting started with Elm? Never, never before. The, the only, let's say, um, a view of functional programming I had was through React, uh, because at that time we were building uh, enterprise application with React, and React uh, borrowed many concepts from functional programming, such as functional components, uh, and when you use tools like Redux, we have these reducers that are pure functions uh, and many concept immutability also. So uh, this is how I entered the functional programming uh, world was through React actually. And uh, each time we were uh, following strictly those rules, uh, not mutating variables or stuff like that, I saw that we had less much bugs than we used to have. So I was like, hmm, this is interesting. I think there is something to do there. So this is how I entered the functional programming world. And then I entered, let's say, officially into functional programming through Elm, where I learned uh, all those concepts uh, much, uh, much better. Sure. Yeah, I think it, it definitely uh, lends itself to being a guide into that world without... Uh without as many roadblocks as you might find with other uh, forays into functional programming. I had a, a problem with reliability as well, and so I was trying to uh, find solutions. And so I started, yeah, with some JavaScript libraries. I was playing around with things like Lodash. Uh, they had an FP um, plugin or, or subset of functions that, that worked in that way, and I was looking at some other languages and and some things would be pretty confusing, but then uh, when I found Elm, it uh, it really kind of clicked. Like, oh, okay, these are the the actual things that I'm looking for with it, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's not functional programming itself. It's the things that functional programming gives me. So, yeah, I, I understand that. Um, what is it about Elm that you like that's not available with something with other languages and ecosystems? Um, I will say having at the same time um, a language and an architecture, which is the Elm architecture, and being able to spin up a server in one common line. So it's the combination of all that that uh, 
uh, that Elm stand is is really something apart uh, from the others, uh, in my opinion. And I will say also the the great work that he's done on the documentation um, and uh, enforcing all those rules when you create a library or even in your own codes to document and um, and yeah, this make uh, developing a front end fun. Yeah, so you're talking about the documentation that is actually required when publishing a package in the Elm ecosystem. Like you must, any publicly available function must be documented and it must have some uh, docs uh, relationship with the entire page so that it knows yeah. where to put it. And yeah, that I think uh, was, yeah, that was a great uh, uh, thing to have from the beginning, right? Because you don't run upon packages that simply have no documentation. Um, it makes you think about that as, as part of the, it's not as part of the process. It's not a thing that you will maybe later. add later if you've had yeah. time, right? Because yeah, those things, they, they don't yeah. happen. <laughs> yeah. L later is never. <laughs> right. Well, speaking of publishing Elm packages, you published uh, Kalu Teo or Kalu Theo Elm yeah. UI Explorer. And, um, and do you want to tell us a little bit about the history of how that came about? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Uh, so it, it started because uh, when I was working at Wika, uh, we, we started using Storybook. Um, and I don't know for which reason we had our own storybook, own version, or uh, maybe storybook was not uh, mature enough, uh, and uh, we started uh, using that because it saved us a lot of time uh, on two sides. First, uh, when we were interacting with uh, UX UI designers, we were able to communicate is easier with them and not to have to build all the application and to start from scratch and just to isolate, uh, let's say, some components in isolation. And on the other hand, it helps a lot developers not to reinvent the wheel and to have more a mindset of reusing uh, and uh, having, let's say, a co cohesion uh, on the UI. And at that time, it was really important because uh, Wicar is a, it's a client-facing application where the uh, UI, UX, and the ergonomy is very important. Uh, so we had to be very, very, uh, to pay attention on all the detail and a storybook is a nice answer for that. Right, right. So you had this experience using it in the Re React ecosystem, exactly. And then, and then, at what point did that? Um, did you decide? Okay, I'm going to build this for Elm. Yeah. So, and then uh, storybooks started to work well, and then uh, I was very active in the Elm community uh, in France, here in Paris. We had uh, a lot of um, small events. Uh, where we could go and then uh, share, do some presentation. 
Uh, and I did a presentation where I kindly hacked Storybook. Uh, I was running Storybook, which is in React, and I, I initiated some Elm, small Elm app as a component, which started uh, being uh, alive. And one person in the audience say, hey, uh, this is very nice, but why don't you do it in Elm? And I was really beginner at that time. And I was like, whoa, it's going to be hard. And then he said, uh, oh, I can even help you uh, to do it. Because there, there are a lot of uh, help in, the, in this whole community during the, the meetups. And I think two or three months later, I was starting <laughs> to try to make a storybook <laughs> with uh, uh, L, yeah, like uh, equivalent of storybook. And this is how it started. Well, that's great. I love that, you know, the, the community is so encouraging to other people. Hey, why don't you, you try this? Who was it in the community, if you don't mind sharing, that encouraged you? Do you oh, remember? I don't remember his name. I'm really sorry. It was uh, someone in the audience, you know, uh, but I will appreciate it to, 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 to see him again. If he remembers. Uh, yeah, yeah. If you're listening out there, why don't you... Uh, you know, call, call in, you know, send us a message on yeah. uh, Twitter or, you know, respond. Hey, hey. I'll, I'll have my email in the uh, show notes and, and uh, Teo, Phil, if you want to uh, put your contact information in there, uh, we can hopefully find out who that was. Yeah, for sure. And it really, really motivated me. And um, like I told you, uh, when you start building uh, with M, even if it's late at home or during some breaks, uh, you know that you can it compiles, and at some points you have um, a safe state of your application, and you can uh, iterate very fast. And I started like that, and and uh, I managed to to create something. <laughs> so when you say you can iterate fast in Elm, what is that process like for you? I would say not to be afraid to start small. So. I will start with a small program without ports and I will just think about the modelization, how I want the page to be structured. And then after I can add uh, ports, for example, or other more complex. Uh, and I do that uh, progressively uh, without the fear of breaking everything. <laughs> uh, and that's what I, I, I appreciate. Uh, with M, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good uh, good way of explaining it. You know, don't be afraid to start small. I, I, that's a great one. And for me, I think that I, I noticed folks, and I did this too, when I started, I was trying to avoid compiler errors at all costs. I would uh, try not to even let them happen. You know, I would be thinking in my head before I saved this file or ran the compiler, you know, what, what do I really need to do? And then at some point I learned to embrace that process where now instead of, uh, of trying to avoid those compiler errors, I want to make them happen. My, I actively seek to make a compiler error happen first. That's usually my first goal. Where can I break the compiler in the most beautiful way or not break the compiler, but where can I break my program in the most beautiful way so that this, you know, this compiler that is actually my friend uh, will help me along and guide me to the best solution to this problem. 
And uh, I found that, you know, if I can find that spot, and there are several of them, there's not just one spot, but if I, if I go about that in the right way, then, um, you know, I can, again, start small, start with a, a little break, a little thing that I want to change, you know, whether it be in the view or the model or the update, wherever that part is, um, or as, as Dylan Kearns might say, um, you know, you, you put in what you wish to happen, yeah. what you want to be reality. Mm. And then, you know, and then a very small slice and then you do that and then let the compiler guide you around so that you can make that a reality. Um, I found that to be, uh, so nice. You know, I don't feel like I'm out in the ocean, uh, on my own, you know, I'm on dry land and I have, you know, um, plenty of safety around me. Mm, Definitely. Okay. So you had this idea to build this right based on the this meetup and these events you started building it uh, a couple months later at what point uh did you have something that was usable i started noticing that when i had folks asking for some merge requests uh i was like whoa so it's used So yeah, so for for my personal, let's say uh, personally, I found it very useful because there were no con- concurrents, let's say, and um, I, I would say not many folks uh, was interested on these parts at the beginning, um, and so I started having many people asking for some new features. I added some. Uh, Responsive. I added some uh, dark modes, um, and it started being, being more and more complex. Uh, unfortunately, I had less and less time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, in, at some points, yeah, it became the the, the best answer I, I, I could have to know if it was uh, usable. It was from the community and from the users, and I saw many uh, nice feedbacks about the projects. Yeah, so this was after you had published the package that you started getting these these pull requests? Actually, I published the package and I also uh, write some articles about it and I also shared on Twitter uh, and I had the chance uh, to be retweeted uh, by uh, famous uh, people in the M community, such as uh, Richard Feldman, uh, and then it creates some uh, traction, let's say. Right. Uh, so okay. uh, I I saw uh, many uh, many messages, and and uh, I'm happy because it, today uh, it's true, it's true that the the project is not maintained anymore um, because of a lack of of time. But I saw. Many uh, nice initiative, even uh, uh, some people uh, building uh, from what I did or going on other direction. Uh, and I think I am happy because it created, uh, I think, uh, a nice dynamic. Uh, so I'm very happy for that. Yeah, yeah. I think it was the first example of a storybook-esque tool in the Elm ecosystem that I was familiar with, or that you know I discovered and. Um, that for me kind of opened up that world because I had not seen that kind of a tool before. And what it did for me was motivated me to build, uh, not directly using the tool, but to build a similar UI explorer in our, uh, 
ecosystem at work uh, logistically. Mm-hmm. So um, that was really nice. And that started in 2019, you know, probably after you had already given the talk at Elm Europe, um, you know, when it had become uh, made its rounds and, and I had uh, discovered it and thought, oh, wow, that's really neat. I want something like that. And so I introduced that. And now I feel like I'm starting to see the fruits of that labor um, come to fruition because uh, at I logistically for a long time, I was the primary one writing Elm and not a lot mm-hmm. of other folks were. And so it was mostly just, you know, for my own benefit and, and you know, kind of hoping, hey, you know, one of these days other people are going to really use this. But just in the few past few months, we've been hiring more folks and and they may be uh, new to Elm or at least, I mean, mm-hmm. new to the code base and, and to, uh, you know, to what tools they should use to build things. And so I found that to be really helpful. That plus I use, we use Elm Doc Preview. And so mm-hmm. um, the combination of those and I kind of link between them, um, both documentation and the UI Explorer so that you can kind of, uh, you know, traverse uh, those different parts and explore and, um, so thank you for, uh, you know, bringing that. Uh, yeah, you're, you're welcome. You're welcome. And just to, to, add, to add another point, uh, I also started to realize it was uh, uh, worth it because at my own work, uh, I suggested to use it because we're using Elm and there were no alternative at that time. And uh, uh, some people tried and we used it uh, in uh, in production for, uh, for many applications that we use. So... It's also a, a good achievement, I would say. Yeah, that's a testament to it for sure. So you you use that today at VP, right? Is where you work. I don't know if we talked about that earlier. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I work at VP uh, as a lead developer, um, and uh, when I joined the company, there was a lot of folks doing functional programming, uh, some Haskellers, some people uh, using Elm. Uh, and I was able to to create application around those stack. Uh, today it's a bit different. The company is changing a bit, and um, there is less, uh, let's say, uh, uh, room for uh, exotic uh, <laughs> uh, programming language. I would say, uh, uh, but uh, still, um, some reliable application have been done with uh, M that have worked very well. And I was uh, able to, to, to use MUI Explorer, for example. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So uh, I have a couple questions here. The first one being, what was it like getting Elm to production at VP? This this uh, is one of those questions that uh, yeah, yeah, I've, yeah. I've got from Guillaume Claure, oh. your, uh, your friend. So. Cool. Uh, Thank you. Uh, hello, Guillaume. Uh, first of all, uh, thanks the question um i think it was um like i say there was a, a good dynamic around that because uh many people were uh on the functional programming paradigm uh, already using it and even on the let's say um uh, engineering managers or other let's say people in the company were supporting this uh this way of building software so it was easier to to adopt it and second part is that um, the department where I work, <coughs> we are, sorry, we are creating applications that are uh, back office application. So 
we don't have constraints of uh, SEO. Uh, we have more constraints of re reliability. Uh, we want application not to crash. We want application that allow people to be productive. Uh, so uh, by using Elm, uh, we were able to, to build this kind of application. And even with uh, developers that were learning the language, uh, and this was, uh, I think, something that made it work. Um, but um, for sure, like I was saying at the beginning of the podcast, that uh, it's hard to convince the others. So we had to convince uh, people. And uh, I was part of an evangelist of Elm when I arrived in the company. Uh, so I was um, conducting some uh, workshop uh, that we were doing during lunchtime. So at the beginning, we were only two, and then three, and then four. And then I started seeing people from the business. <laughs> and it was very, 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 very cool. So with your position at VP, do you get to make decisions about what tools you use, at least in your part of uh, the company? So as a, as a lead developer, uh, I'm able, of course, to, uh, to have uh, some final words about uh, which, uh, which language we can use, uh, but um, it has to be validated by architects. We have architects uh, in the company, and also uh, there is, let's say, um, you need to be uh, a cohes cohesive. Um, it's not like anybody can choose his own language. Uh, so at, at, at that time, it was uh, the direction that we, we had in our information system. Uh, today, it's a bit different, but uh, uh, it's not like choosing the language as to play or to hack. It, it had some benefits, uh, like I said, uh, having reliable application that don't crash because we are building application for people who are working in the warehouse, for example, uh, who are need to produce uh, content for sales that we are, we are opening in the websites. Uh, so this one was one, uh, uh, let's say, um, reason. Another reason uh, is that, um, in, uh, for example, in my team, uh, we have uh, full-stack developers, which means that um, they, are, they know, let's say, the back end, the front end, but they are not specialists on the front end, for example. So for this kind of profile, Elm is very interesting because uh, it, it, uh, it reduces risk of uh, building bad software. doesn't mean that we can't we can build bad software with Elm, for sure. Uh, but uh, this rigid or strict uh, way of doing, following the Elm architecture, uh, following some documentation that are done, we make all the application look the same uh, and behave properly. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. And I think uh, for me, when I've brought people on who had less experience with Elm, that sometimes you know they may still make mistakes. Like you said, it's it's not impossible to write. Uh, you know, write code that uh, is imperfect, right? I mean, none of it's perfect. And and your, and more importantly, your requirements can change. And so when those requirements change or you find code that is, is not to what you expect it to be, the refactoring process is, is so nice that um, 
I feel like you have more more freedom in in how you uh, bring people in with less experience because uh, you can fix things right and 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 when things need to change, you can make sure that they change in a way that um, doesn't break the yeah program. exactly or even for refactoring uh, we can do a first version that is very uh, optimist and then uh, we can refactor more easily. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And so you mentioned this warehouse management system and and the need for reliability there. Um I, I feel like sometimes the the amount of reliability with Elm um can can be a double-edged sword simply for the fact that if your requirements aren't changing, you aren't adding new features, sometimes the the program can sit there working without problems and people forget that that it was, you know, such an efficient way to do it. They feel like, you know, maybe, um, you know, maybe there's a problem, but the problem is that there isn't a problem, if that makes sense, right? Because you aren't uh, messing with it all the time. You, you, um, you kind of lose, lose it from your, your current um, site. So, uh, do you have any thoughts about, you know, with your, your system there, um, about how you add Elm things and how that uh, has affected uh, Elm as a tool at the company? Um, yeah, if, if I understood well the question, um, we are, when um, we start creating uh, Elm applications, uh, there is this sensation that it can break right uh, but then comes the time where we have to add new features or we have to maintain the application uh, and um, there are some parts that shines on M and some parts we are which are less let's say um, let's say uh, uh, efficient uh, I will take some example uh, for example, we add uh, in one application to to create um, an API, uh, and we we add we're using GraphQL as a backend for frontend. And uh, I remember uh, at that time we had an example uh, with uh, React, uh, so we had this um, stuff called Apollo. Uh, and then you had Apollo clients and then Apollo server. And so there was kind of some magic there. And uh, I remember uh, we had to do the same in Elm. And of course, we started uh, uh, working with some uh, decoders. And then we started creating a lot of boilerplates, uh, which is, let's say, one part, I think, that Elm... Um, can be uh, painful to work with, with uh, on that part, but at the same time, it's what makes it all clear because you know what you are doing. Uh, so what we ended up with, it was using um, a library uh, called Elm GraphQL, if I remember well, by Dylan Kearns, uh, and it allows us to just generate uh, from the specification all these boilerplates. Uh, so it was uh, 
let's say, an example of uh, where Elm, the limit of Elm, but where it can shine also, because by generating all this code, because we had the types on the other hand with GraphQL, uh, Elm played well with GraphQL. So this is one example of, like you say, double-edged sword. Uh, okay, uh, everything is pure, everything is... Um, Functional, but at the same time, you have to write all the uh, update decoders function and no magic. Right, right, yeah. Uh, it, Elm GraphQL by Dylan Kearns is is really powerful, and I think that's a good distinction there between you know some tools and other languages seem magical, but with Elm, it's not magic. You know, there's maybe some code generation going on behind the scenes with some tools, but it is clear. It's explicit. And uh, and that's that's really powerful. So yeah, we uh, don't use GraphQL at our work, but we do use um, some tools to generate code. So we generate Elm from Python, and so uh, through that process, we've been able to gain a lot of power and and actually make our reliability on the back end more clear by generating Elm, which is more strict and will catch things that we may not catch on the back end. So um, I found that to be pretty nice to have and uh, of course uh, make us more efficient but yeah the the real point that i was trying to make with the elms reliability is that because it's reliable assuming that you don't have to add many new features the reliability uh, sort of tends to make you forget or make not when i say you i mean make people who are maybe in charge of deciding what tools you use um, forget that um, Elm was used to build this in that because of its reliability, you don't touch it. And so you don't think about, you know, oh, well, you know, they're working in Elm because you don't have to go in there and fix a bunch of bugs. Right. So <laughs> yeah, I constantly reminded by it. So in that way, I think the reliability mm. um, makes people just forget how, um, yeah. how important Elm is. <laughs> I get I, I get the point. Yeah. <laughs> One example is that um, for um, some application, uh, for our application, we can use, or we are suggested to use Sentry to be able to catch errors that can uh, have, we have in production on the front end. But uh, for Elm, we never had to use uh, Sentry, <laughs> for example. So once we, if, if we build the application in another, uh, JavaScript, more JavaScript um, language uh, framework, we may ha need uh, this kind of tool for it. This is just an example. So yeah, in fact, we we kind of forget that it's living, it's there. Uh, and yes, and when you remove it, you can you will have other problems, but it's a matter of, tra of, of trade-off. Um, I'm, I'm not saying that uh, Elm is perfect because I'm um, Sometimes uh, we, we also ask me, oh, do you think everybody needs to do some Elm? It's a matter of trade-off. And uh, what is your team? Are they junior, full stack, uh, you know, uh, specialized? And your projects, what are the characteristics of your projects? Uh, do you have to ship very fast? Do you, have, you need to have something that is very reliable, like you say? So, and then you can choose. Yes, yes, of course. Yeah, and so I guess to that, 
how has Elm changed how you write software in general? So even outside of writing Elm code, is there some way that it has changed it? This is sort of another adaptation of a Guillaume Claret question. <laughs> yeah, it definitely changed. Um, for my part, I have been, um, I've started um, programming with a, a front end, so with Slash, for example. At that time, it was ActionScript. It was uh, classes uh, and uh, abstractions everywhere, and we're doing that to create user interface. So we had this burden that extended uh, a base button class, and then we had this, uh, let's say, uh, interface that we can uh, implement. And all these abstractions we're using just to create UI. And uh, what I saw uh, when I started doing more and, and even in React or other, um, uh, let's say, uh, front-end uh, frameworks that embraces functional programming, you can describe a user interface only with function. And here you see, you see that you don't need all those abstractions. You can, you can need some of them, of course, uh, but with functions, you can do everything and you can create very complex application just with function and values uh, without objects and inheritance and all this stuff. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And it's, it's funny how I think people tend to naturally move toward complexity. So it, take, it takes discipline to keep things simple, but I think uh, I agree that when you do that, even in uh, a language that doesn't, enforce the same discipline that Elm does, uh, you can gain benefits. So again, for example, with uh, my work, we write Python in the back end, and I find myself writing a lot of, you know, functions. They're still methods because, you know, I may make a mistake and have some, uh, you know, effect, side effect inside of there. Um, but for the most part, I, I try to write, you know, these static methods that um, take all of the inputs in, and you know return values as opposed to accepting glo or using globals or you know uh having side effects and things like that so um it's definitely changed how i write code as well um so another thing that you've been talking on the french podcast if this then dev about elm and i don't speak french so could you tell me a little bit, have we covered some of the things that you talked about on that podcast, or are there any things that you talked about on there that uh, you might be able to share with us in English? So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, good question. Uh, actually, it's, we covered uh, mainly uh, uh, the same things. Uh, this podcast it was mainly uh, my experience with Elm, how I enter this uh, community and... Uh, uh, what I was doing with it um, at work uh, and uh, all the um, functional concepts behind. So I think we're pretty close. I won't say words word to words, like <laughs> exactly <laughs> the same. Uh, but if you have any any question on some parts, I can I, I can answer. But it was mainly uh, the, the same. I would say, <laughs> but <Okay>. in French. <laughs> <laughs> Oui, oui, yeah. Um, 
That's great. Okay. Well, is there anything else you want to add before we get to the picks? Um, no, maybe I will um, like to 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 to, to say a hi to uh, my colleagues at VP. <laughs> uh, I think they really recognize them. Um, and uh, Alex, uh, Alexi, Kezar, and Jerome from my team, and all the others, of course, uh, were doing a great work in the company. Uh, and um, yeah, and and, and Guillaume, my uh, my friend Guillaume, who uh, mm-hmm. give this right question. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, thank uh, you, Guillaume. Yeah, this is the mainly what wanted to uh, to say. Okay, yeah, that's great. Well, uh, what picks do you have for us today? Uh, so the, the first one, uh, I will say uh, the domain modeling made functional, uh, the book uh, from uh, Scott Vlachin. Uh I really uh, encourage you to to read the book. Uh, and I will also have the chance to attend the workshop of uh, Scott. Uh, it's uh, about domain-driven design. Uh, it talks about uh, functional programming, but also how we can combine both. And it's 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 on uh, F sharp. Uh, but um, I I really encourage uh, you to go and check this out because it's very very nice material uh, to be able to to work with the stakeholders and the business. Yeah, that's a great pick. I bought that as part of a Humble Bundle a couple months ago. And so I have the PDF and I have been reading that on and off. Um, and I think, yeah, it's it's in F-sharp, but Elm is somewhat influenced by F-sharp. F-sharp is a, an ML uh, family language. And so a lot of the things that I've found in there, I think translate really well into Elm as well. So yeah, excellent pick. Do you have anything else yeah. for us? Uh, and more on the, on the Elm parts, I will say, um, it's true that we talk a lot about, uh, Elm UI Explorer, but I, I will, I will want to thank, uh, Richard Feldman for his, uh, great work on uh, Elm CSS because, it's what I recommend to use. It's kind of uh, like uh, CSS in JS, but it's Elm in CSS. And um, thanks to that, uh, it's one building block of having a UI that is consistent and to be able to put it in the storybook. Uh, so I, w- I will uh, recommend, recommend it. And also uh, the material that he produces for front-end masters. Uh, all the courses on Elm are very interesting, and I I encourage uh, people interested by Elm to to go and have a look. Yeah, those are great picks. The front end masters courses for Elm by Richard Feldman we give to our uh, developers when they're starting out. And recently, I had watched them. I had not watched those particular ones, but I had seen so much material by Richard before that. Um, you know, I thought, well, I, I have the gist, but the fact that it's all so concise and so put together um, into a single course uh, makes it great. So, yeah, I recommend even if you have lots of experience with Elm and, you know, you already think you know it all, maybe like I did <laughs> or assumed that I knew um, all the material that Richard had more clearly. But uh, but that really uh, does put it together well. So thank you. And uh, any other picks? Maybe a last one. Uh, as okay. I was saying, uh, LMU Explorer uh, is not maintained anymore. 
but I I would like to to uh, to say that there is one initiative called Elm Book, uh, which is uh, seems to be a nice, uh, very nice um, library to to make showcase and documentation of UI. So I will uh, I I recommend it as the Elm UI Explorer author. I recommend uh, this uh, this tool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember when. Uh, this George, George, is that, I'm not sure exactly how to say his name, Georges, uh, Boris, uh, his, uh, Elm book project, when it came out, I thought, Hey, you know, that, that reminds me of Elm UI Explorer. Um, but yeah, it looks really good too. And I know that he's put a lot of work into, uh, into supporting it. And I think is, is still continuing to support it today. So yeah, that's, that's a great pick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For All sure. right. And okay, so my picks are the first one is uh, Luca Mugnaini. Again, I'm not sure on the correct pronunciation there, so please let me know if I need to correct that. Has a an Elm 2022 a year in review uh, blog post on Dev2. And that I think is a great post because it showcases a lot of things that were happening in Elm in 2022. And, um, and, and you can really kind of see uh, all the great things that are going on in the Elm community. And then my last one, which is kind of related to what we've been talking about today is Elm UI by Matthew Griffith. Um, again, kind of to the point of, uh, of designing, uh, creating a design system. I think that tool really helps with that. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's really it. Thanks, Teofil, for coming to Elmtown. And until next time. Thank you, Jared. Au revoir. Thank you, Jared. Au revoir.